0: you could open your Bibles to the book of John, in the third chapter, and I'm going to use a text that I know we have spoken of, or from, uh, I'm sure, many times through the years, but I just felt like it was uh, appropriate, and um, what I I believe the Lord would speak continuing changing the way we think. I know it's funny that dad has been on this, uh, been speaking about this, and talking about the mind, and the the battle really is in our mind. Uh, I think that that's, that's probably what the scripture says that, you know, we'll look upon at some point, I guess, you know, look upon the devil and say, that's the guy that tricked us, because there's no power there. The fight we're fighting really isn't, isn't the devil. The biggest battle we are facing isn't isn't any exterior force, it is the interior force of our thoughts and our ideas and our mind, and coming off of that, uh, that thought that I preached a couple of weeks ago, um, where God says, you think that, basically, paraphrasing, um, in Psalm 51, uh, 50, 50, um, you think that I think what you think, but that's not it, and so I've been thinking about that, a lot of thinking going on. And um, this, this verse jumped out at me again. Um, and so I want to pick up in the 23rd verse of the third chapter. And this passage of scripture that you all have heard many times, but I just want to maybe remind us of some things tonight and help us to think differently about some stuff. So the 23rd verse in John was also baptizing in Anon, near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. They were arguing about baptism. That sounds like something that happens a lot today. Got a lot, of different, uh, a lot of different denominations, and everybody has got an opinion. I said this weeks and months ago when I spoke on baptisms. Everybody's got a different opinion, and they're arguing about purifying, meaning what, how baptism figures into this. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, this being John's disciples, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, Behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. And John answered and said, A man cannot receive nothing or anything except it be given him from heaven. And ye yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am that was sent before him. And he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And this is the verse I want to look at tonight. He must increase, but I must decrease. If you look at it in the In the Greek, it gives this idea, uh, which we can understand, but to expand it, it is that he must continue to grow bigger and bigger, and in order for that to happen, I've got to get smaller and smaller. This is the ministry of John the Baptist. When you think about it, I got a question for you tonight just to kind of set it up for you for the rest of the service, what you're thinking about. This is the ministry of John the Baptist. Is this the ministry of the church? Is this the ministry of churches in America? Lord, I ask you right now, help me. I don't have anything. I have nothing but that which is given by you. John just said this in the text we just read, and I I don't have any. Revelation. I don't have any authority. I don't have any power. I don't have any understanding, Lord. But tonight we ask you, God, that you would move by your spirit in our hearts and you would speak to us what you want us to hear. God, if I am in the way, get me out of the way. In order that we can hear what you want us to hear tonight, Jesus, and we will give you the glory. And everybody say Amen. Amen. The idea of decrease is one that does not come natural to us. Can you say amen? Our natural way of thinking prohibits us from believing that we benefit from anything other than increase. We cannot imagine a scenario in which we benefit from, I'm talking in the natural, I'm not talking in the spiritual. We can't imagine a scenario in which we benefit with less money. Nobody here. We can't imagine a scenario in which we benefit from less health. We can't imagine a scenario in which we benefit from less security in this country. Our natural way of thinking, we don't have to do anything about this. When you teach a kid, you don't have, uh, when you have a kid, a baby, and they're growing up, we got all these little ones here, nobody has to teach them to be Selfish. They'll never have to give a lesson on being selfish to your children. It is natural that we need more. We need, we need increase above what we've got. If you've got two Tonka trucks, you need three when you're a little kid. That's just how it is because it is a natural process. We are further predisposed because we live in America. This is natural all over the world. If you lived in Africa and you had a hut, two huts would be better. If you had one mule, two mules would be better. There's never a scenario. But we are further predispositioned because we live in America to think that God's plan for our lives would always be that we have more than what we have now. This is constantly being pushed, constantly being peddled. Dad and I went and heard a, a sermon the other night. And, and again, I'm not against it, really anything the guy said. But the message that you hear in church is always, yeah, you're going through hard stuff, but you're going to come out with more. That's the message. Even if we address something, even temporarily within the the messages that are being preached in most churches, the result of the message will always be, yeah, you might be going through it, but you're going to come out with more stuff. You're going to come out better. You're going to come out stronger. You're going to come out more anointed. That's always the promise of the messenger in America. Bigger, better, stronger. These words flow out of our mouths easily. Less, weaker, decrease. I don't want to talk about those things. Some of you tonight are even thinking, man, I don't even want to hear this. I don't want to think that there's possibility that America might be weaker in a a few months than what we are now. Anybody got a problem? I have a problem with that. I don't even want to think about that. But the truth of the matter is that we have to understand that in order for the kingdom now, let's take things for a minute and think about things from kingdom perspective, we have to understand that there must be a decrease in order for there to be an increase. Now, this is always applied to us in, in us, in our natural. So in order for you to get, you've got to give. That's always the message that's that spun off of this. In order for, for uh, you to get more, you've got to suffer a little bit, but you're ultimately going to get more. I want to look at this parable in, uh, jo- sorry, in Luke chapter 12. Look at this, this little parable here that, that leaps out to me when we think about this. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this I will do. I will pull down my barns. And I will build, what? Greater, bigger. And there will I bestow all of my fruits and all of my goods. And I will say, and listen to this, I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The rich man believed in his heart that his increase equaled favor. There's something that I think we miss in this. He believed that the result of the favor or the increase in his life, the fact that his fields had been fruitful to the place that he had nowhere to put it, meant that God was on his side. That, that was a natural thing. He, he thought that he had conviction about what he was doing. He had secured his wealth the correct way and that he would continue to increase. This is the natural progression. Hey, I'm being blessed. Now listen, I know this sounds weird and we testify about God's favor. We're praying for it all the time. We need it on our businesses and and, and being self-employed and working in the different jobs you all were. We all need the favor of God. We we aren't self-made people. So this kind of runs against our grain. But to think, to equate the increase with favor, then also means you have to equate the decrease with a lack of favor. You cannot, now maybe some of you just say, well, I just don't want to. I'm not going to listen for the rest of the service. Okay, but you cannot be John the Baptist and continue to increase. In order for John to fulfill what God wanted for his life, he had to grow smaller in the eyes of the people. He had to be taken in. He had to be falsely accused. He had to be eliminated literally in order that his disciples would stop following him and start following the Lord. The rich man believes that As we testify all the time, we testify because we know we have not provided. I didn't provide the money that that enabled us to do what we are doing today, but God provided for my family. But at the same time, when things are not going the way I want them to go, I've also got to stand up and say, the Lord giveth, but the Lord taketh away. And I've got to understand that while there might be some decrease in my life, it is not equal to the fact that God is not with me. Well, that's a difficult sermon, something difficult to think about. But he believed that because he had done things the right way, because he had increased, that there would never be a time where he would not increase Further, He said, I will build greater. I will do more. What I have is just the beginning of what I will have. Be careful when you say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm thankful for what I've got, but I really want a whole lot more than what I've got. Be really careful with that. Paul says, I have learned to both be, uh, I've learned to abound and I've learned to be abased. None of us want to be in the condition where we are abased, meaning we have very little. None of us want to walk there or operate in that condition. We all are programmed from our birth to believe that we are destined for greater and destined for more. He could have said, I have more than what I need. Have you ever caught yourself saying, I have more than what I need? Not very often. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to admit, I have not made that statement very often. And I think if we're honest, I don't think many of us have probably ever said, I have more than what I need. He could have though. He could have said, I have more than what I could ever store. Let me bless someone beside me who's hurting. Let me be a blessing to somebody around me. My barns are full. I've got all I need and then some. Some. Let me look at the needs around my life. Let me look at the needs of the kingdom because the parable that Jesus is telling, I've got to believe is not about a Gentile man, but Jesus is speaking to Jews. That's who he ministered to. I've got to believe he's talking to Jews and this man being a Jew would have been able very easily to look and say, God has blessed me bountifully. I'm going to bless his kingdom bountifully. I'm going to bless the poor. I'm going to bless the people who have nothing. But he did not do this. He was only serving his own interest. He confused his wealth with spiritual security. He looked at what he had and he said to his soul, Did you ever catch that before? I know you've all read this passage a lot of times. Did you ever catch that before though? That he looked at his natural increase and he said to his soul, he began to look at what he had in the natural and equate that with the spiritual. He said, I've got a super abundance. Now soul, you can be at ease. Isn't that what we want? We, we feel, now I, I say we, you can eliminate yourself from this if this is not true of you. But I know that naturally I feel this way. We all feel this way. You know, if I didn't have, to, if I just didn't have to worry about money, I could serve the Lord so much easier. If I didn't have to take any, any worry about stuff and, and having to work and how I'm going to pay my bills, I wouldn't worry. I, I would just be at ease. And that might be true, but you would be exactly then like the rich man, because what drives us to the Lord oftentimes is the circumstances that we are in. Think about all of the people that came to Jesus. The Jews all rejected him. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But who were the ones that were coming to him? Blind people, and crippled people, and broken people, and bleeding people, and poor people. They were running to him, and children. Why? Because they had no one to help them. But those who could help themselves, they don't come to the Lord. Those who have enough, those who look and say, I have more than what I need. I'm going to build bigger barns. They don't come to the Lord. They believe that their increase is security. He says to his soul, he said to himself, I have found favor. Soul, you have been blessed. My success is proof that what I'm doing is the right thing. I know that we may not like to hear that, but there's a lot of people who who believe that they are vindicated and validated by the fact that their success proves that God is with them. I've said this many times though, if all it takes for you to get out of what God wants you to be doing, out of the will of God for your life is a check, Satan will gladly send you a check. Oh, he doesn't have that, sure he does. Absolutely he can present opportunity in front of you. Did he not in front of Jesus? Did he not offer to Jesus all the kingdoms of this world? Can he not give you something to draw you out? Of course he can. And the idea that somehow success brings I'm doing the right thing, so I'm going to make decisions for my life based upon what will be better financially, believing that if if it's better financially, it's got to be God. If it's better for me financially, it has to be that the Lord opened this door. And God says to him, you think that I think just like you think, but I don't. (laughs) to to spin off of last time I, I preached. I don't think like you. And in fact, you're a fool. Because tonight, your soul is gonna be required. And then everything that you've stored up, everything that you've equated as success, everything you believed was increase and was God's favor upon your life, you're now gonna stand before God and you're gonna answer to God for you. And he said, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. I don't believe we have to walk around in destitution and, and poverty. I don't believe we have to do that. I don't believe that it's wrong that we drive nice cars. I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's wrong to have a nice house. But if we are laying up for ourselves, and I, and I know this is preaching to the choir, and we probably all know this, and this really isn't the point of the message. I'm working off of this tonight. But, but understand this, though. It's a great reminder to us that if you are not richer in God than you are on this earth, you are making a huge mistake with your life. And if you are equating your spirituality, Dad has said this many times. Being younger, I was never a part of a, of a, a church leadership. I don't remember too many church meetings because... We've never had that in this church where we get everybody together and take up a vote on who's going to be the deacons. But what happens in most churches, and dad has been a part of this and seen this through the years, and some others probably could testify to this, that what happens in most churches is that you, you say, well, we're going to elect some deacons, we're going to elect some elders into the church, and what do you do? You get a guy who makes pretty good money because he's a good businessman, and that guy must be spiritual because he's got good money, and he's got good business sense, but the problem is that's not how God thinks. God doesn't care anything about your money. God doesn't care anything about what you think except for he cares about your money and that you're stingy and you're keeping it for yourself. He cares about your money when you're building new barns because you're, you're so at ease in what you're doing and you don't, you're not rich toward God. Then he cares. He cares if you're not a giver. He does care in that sense. But God's not looking at us and saying, well, because you're successful, you've got to stop. Listen, I'm going to give a word of warning to all of you people here tonight. You've got to stop looking at people and think because they have money, that means there's something. Doesn't mean anything. People are judged. We are judged by who we are, not by what we have. This is how God looks at us, it's how God sees us. What must God do for us to see things differently? I don't want to wait until this night thy soul is required of you, you idiot. I don't want to wait to get there. Can somebody say amen? I don't want to wait till I'm there to realize I should have thought about things differently. What does God have to do to get my attention? What does God have to put us through or, or reveal to us? What does he have to do to get it through our thick heads that he wants us to see things from a different angle? He wants to challenge the root of the way we think. This parable Jesus just gave, it is startling It is a sobering reminder of how easy it is for us to attach success to spiritual favor. I want you to look at 1 Timothy and the 6th chapter. i got to get there. I didn't mark everything and I should have. 1 Timothy and the 6th chapter and the 3rd verse. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to. "...to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but dotting the question and strifes of words. Wherefore cometh strife, and envy, and railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds?" And destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now we can believe rightly that this verse is speaking about those who would say exactly what I just described that they are attaching monetary gain, worldly stuff to godliness. But I want to also take this to a different level because where we naturally go when we look then kingdom-wise is we begin to think that bigger is always better. We believe that bigger is always better. Better, but we need to be aware of this harsh truth. American churches are full of this doctrine that God is all about your success, and that if you live godly, you will have prosperity. Look one book over in Second Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 12, and it says, Yea, all that live godly will suffer persecution. No, everybody who's godly will have great gain. From such, turn away. Get away from people that are trying to tell you that you should not decrease. Get away from people that are trying to tell you that your favor is attached to godliness. This this thing that you can produce and the more you produce, the happier God is with you. Get away from those people. I'm not suggesting that we all need to be destitute to be godly or that God does not bless his people because he certainly does. But I want to challenge this prevailing thought that increases the way of the kingdom. Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you but we think that the addition is what the kingdom is about those who take even those words to heart believe that the addition is the result so hey seek first the kingdom of God good so I start my morning off with prayer and then everything's going to be added to me and the result of the kingdom is my addition But the truth is the result of the kingdom happening in your life is your decrease. It's your putting your mind down. It's you laying your life on that cross daily. That's the way of the kingdom. John the Baptist brings us this most significant truth. We only have a record of a few things that he spoke But there is nothing more significant to the kingdom than the understanding that he must increase and that I must decrease. John, who is full of the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. John, whom Jesus says is the greatest prophet ever. John, who is the revealer of the Messiah. John, who is the prophesied Elijah preceding the Christ. This is the one who says, I have to decrease. He is the exact one that today would be doing everything he can to increase. I hear things like this, dad said it, I forget who you said it about, but somebody said that their father was the greatest man to walk the earth since the apostle Apostle Paul Where do we get that idea from? John is out baptizing people into repentance. But his disciples got together with some of the Jews, or some would say with a certain Jew, and begin to question what authority Jesus had to rebaptize disciples who John had baptized. This is literally the argument. They come to John and they say, John, the one who you said was coming after you, the one you identified as the Christ. He's over here baptizing people. Now we find in John 4 that Jesus didn't baptize anybody, but his disciples were baptizing people. And he says, they're over there baptizing, and all of your crowd is leaving you, and they're going to him. Does that sound like a fight in the church today? This is exactly the same mentality. Exactly the same idea. Listen, we we can't have people going somewhere else. We've got to bring people to us. We have the truth. We've got the right. You're the greatest prophet. You're the Elijah who said to come. You're full of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, if it's God, people are going to stay with you. They were put off by the fact that Jesus was assuming greater authority than John. And I'm sorry, this is true today, of the vast majority of churches. John's disciples scoffed at the idea of decrease because they believed that John was anointed. Did they have right and reason to believe that? Of course, who else was God gonna choose to identify him when he showed up? I mean, if God's gonna choose somebody to identify them, him when he shows up, how, who, who would be better to follow but that person? But this is a problem, because this is the natural way of thinking. Because we hold some truth, we believe that we hold all truth. So then it's very easy, and now we gotta get personal. It's very easy for us to try to draw people to Echoes of Calvary, because Echoes of Calvary is a lot better than a lot of other churches. Amen. It is. But that's not what the kingdom's about. The kingdom is not about Echoes of Calvary. The kingdom is not about Pastor Rod. The kingdom is not about Pastor Rodney. It's not about the, the number of brothers and sisters that are gathered that we all believe we're on the same level playing field. We have different functions and orders, but we're all serving the same God at the same level. But the kingdom isn't about us. And it's so hard for us to get it through here that it's not done that way. The joy of John's submission to to the increase of Jesus' influence and the ministry of Jesus stand in stark contrast to the jealousy and the pride of his own disciples. But there is also a marked difference from Jesus' own disciples. While they walked with Jesus, the inner circle, The ones that he discipled for what we believe to be three and a half years. Walking and talking with him. Seeing all of his miracles. Seeing his authority. What positions they would hold in his kingdom is what they were worried about. Who was the greatest among them? Was a conversation that was literally near the end of his ministry toward them. And they are arguing among themselves who is the greatest. Why? Because we believe in our increase. That's what we believe. We believe that we must be promoted. You know how it works is you, is you start at, at a kid's church level and then you w- climb your way right up through the ranks and you become promoted and you become promoted and you become promoted and then pretty soon you're the big, high, exalted, potentate pastor who knows everything and tells everybody in the church what to do. Increase and increase and increase and increase. But yet, the ki- way of the kingdom is if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. Okay, so I'll be the least and then I'll be great. No, no, you get to be the least. You see how our minds go? So I wanna be great, so I'll be little, so I'll be great. No, you'll be little. See, if this worked that way, then John the Baptist would have decreased only so that he could increase. I mean, why couldn't he have been resurrected from the dead? Could Jesus have resurrected John? Yes, of course he could have. He resurrected Lazarus. What a mighty miracle. God puts his head back on his body and he's running around the street. I mean, you talk about people following somebody. (laughs) Hence the problem. Do you know why we see so few miracles in modern society? Because if I could have a a miracle tonight, somebody stand right out here in front of that video camera, do you know how full this church would be next week? And we'd be all set up. We just put ourselves a shop up on the corner. The Kincaid's Miracle Ministry team, money starts pouring in. This is happening with fake miracles. Just look at Bethel. This is happening with, with uh, facade and, and phoniness right now. If there was a validated real, why does that never happen in, in a modern country? Because God's not going to share His glory with people. It's just strange to me that with we catch everything on camera. We just uh, Austin and I just saw this. We were sitting in the hotel lobby and they caught this. These two moose were fighting in this parking lot and somebody caught. They catch everything on camera. We don't have miracles on camera. Why? Why? <laughs> now somebody goes, oh, look at this one, or look at that one. No, no, no. Because ultimately, it would only lead to our... Increase, but John's joy was in submission to the increase of the Lord he literally was so full of the Spirit of God that he understood I've got to get out of the way as long as I remain my disciples will never turn to him and I'm gonna say this tonight listen if I make this about me or if we make it about pastor rod then if if as long as we stand we will stand in the way of your seeing Jesus we have got to get out of of the way so that you can focus on him echoes of Calvary can never I don't care how big the church gets or how small we can never be about echoes of Calvary now Rodney broke it for me because he got some youth shirts made because my statement has been we've never made a shirt about echoes of Calvary and said hey wear it <laughs> we got some now okay Rodney you ruined it for me But we've never made it about us. And if we start making it about us now, we will lose the effectiveness of the name of Jesus from our midst. So, okay, so we preach Jesus and and we preach his increase and then that will make us grow. No, no, no. Again, that's that worldly Wrong way of thinking. I'm not suggesting people won't come in because people who want to see the kingdom are going to flock to the kingdom. But we don't do anything to increase. Can we make a pact about that tonight? We're not going to do anything to sit one more hiney in the seats of this church. We are going to preach the gospel and we're going to get out of the way. We're going to reveal Christ and we're going to try to decrease because the more we get out of the way, the more he can be exalted. And the more he is exalted, if he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. Not unto echoes of Calvary, not unto our ministry, not unto our revelation of the oneness of God. No, that's not it at all. And now that we are completely removed from denomination, I just tell you that I fully believe denomination is not what the Lord wants. I fully believe it I'm 100 percent convinced denomination only tells us where we divide it only tells us where we separate it only tells us who our alliances are and what aisles we cannot cross but the gospel's got to go forward John's disciples prove something to me they prove to me that you can sit under ministry of the most anointed and powerful prophet given among men and never understand that the kingdom is about Jesus' increase and your decrease. Think, well, I gotta get to the right pastor. If I could just get to the right pastor, the man, the kingdom would really come alive in me. No, you can be with the greatest prophet ever and completely miss that it's about him and not about you. I think John's disciples were sincere. I think they were godly men. I think that they were set apart, holy men, and they did not understand the increase of the Lord. Jesus' disciples proved to me that you can walk with God in the flesh and that you can bear his name and have the correct baptismal formula and preach the gospel and do miracles, signs, and wonders and be so full of yourself that you are literally working in opposition to the kingdom of God. Oh, the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the baptismal formula and all the right doctrines and the name of Jesus, that just proves that we're right. No, you can have every bit of that and make the kingdom of God about you and argue over what denomination's the greatest, and argue over what doctrine is the greatest, and who's going to sit where when the kingdom comes. It's mind-boggling. I would like to think that none of us would be arguing over who was the greatest if Jesus had been discipling us for three and a half years. But why would I think that? why why would i think that we are superior to the men that he chose to carry on his gospel it is natural for us that's my point that's why i've said everything i've said tonight it is natural for us to increase ourselves to look out for our own interest to try to figure out how and we can have the greatest intention and the greatest motivation John's disciples were just concerned that everything that he had been working for was gonna be lost. We cannot be concerned that the work of Pastor Rod is gonna be lost. That can't be our motivation. Well, a pastor needs to leave a legacy. No, 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 no. The legacy is Christ. That's the legacy. The legacy is that we push people to find him, that we exalt him. But it's easy for us to become like John's disciples and say, man, you know, I just don't want to see all that we've worked for. Right? I don't want to see all that we've worked for. I'll say we've, we've suffered some loss. We've suffered some loss in moving here. Everybody can say amen. We've suffered some loss financially. we suffered some loss in... Church membership, however you want to really have membership there. But um, but I really believe, I know I echo pastor's heart in this. I'm okay with decrease. The question is, are we as a body okay with decrease? Are we okay if the Lord says, I don't want to make it about you? I don't want this to be about you. i got to have some questions, and Dad and I have been talking about this, and I'm not going to go too far with it, but I have to have some questions. If God wanted us to continue to do exactly what we were doing in California, could he not have set that up so we walked right into it here? But yet I will have been here a year, Thanksgiving week, a month away, so I've been here 11 months. Some, most of you have been here about 10 months. A few of us have been here almost a year and yet that's not even close to happening. So you have to start to say then, are we okay with God doing something differently than what we've had? Or are we only in it for the fishes and the loaves? Are we really here because we wanna see echoes of Calvary grow. Did we come to Claremore because we wanted to see the Echoes of Calvary brand get bigger? Man, we came to the Bible belt. No. God did not command us concerning Echoes of Calvary. God did not command us concerning Oklahoma. God commanded us concerning obedience. And his command toward us is, you have to decrease in order for me to increase. That's God's word for us. You've got to get smaller because your attitudes are gonna get in the way. If you want Christ to increase in your house, then you need to decrease. Put it directly within your home because how you treat your children and your wife and your husband and your friends and how, what importance you make the things of God is absolutely going to impact whether your children see Jesus or whether they see you. We can take that into so many levels. I am finishing. This country has constructed grand and beautiful edifices that we call churches. Tens of millions of dollars poured into these structures that only stand to show our wealth and our increase. We just drove by two massive churches. They're so big they've got them split on the two different parts of Springfield. I won't name the church because I don't know anything about them. What possible function do these buildings serve with our names plastered all over them? Our denominations, our pastors, our ministries. Can somebody think how the kingdom of God is edified by these multi-million dollar structures with our names blasted all over them? Can you think of one way that the kingdom of God grows? That the name of Jesus and the person of Jesus is increased by that specific thing? How can this possibly be about the kingdom? When pastors look at the harvest and say, the churches are not big enough. We've got to tear down this church and build bigger churches. Because there's a great harvest. So you can be at ease because clearly what you're doing by the fact that there are thousands of people coming and multi-million dollar buildings, clearly what you are doing is right with God. You say, well, this comes because you guys don't even have a building. No, this comes prior to us having a building. This comes after we walked from a building, before God does what he does want to do in us. I want to tell you something. The idea that the harvest is ripe and we've got to go and tear the churches down because what we've got isn't going to work. And we've got to get bigger and grander and better and say, I will be at ease and we can eat and drink and be merry because God is with us. And God says, You fools, you've preached a gospel that has brought in a false harvest. You've preached a gospel that has brought people unto you. And while you have increased, I have decreased. And the people that are standing in your churches do not even know who I am. And yet you think you will build bigger churches? At some point... Their souls are going to be required of them. I believe that we are in a battle for the soul of the American church. I don't know what's going on, and we really are only ministering in Claremore. We don't have worldwide influence, worldwide ministry. I don't have any ambition for that. If the Lord wants us to preach somewhere else, he'll have to open the door and we'll do it whenever he wants to do that. But we're dealing with a small group here in Claremore. But I believe there's got to be other churches around this country. We won't hear about them because they're not popular. (laughs) You're not going to hear about them because they don't have the big Facebook followings. Because pastors who are going to get up and make it not about them are not worried about their name being attached to it. What if somebody heard this message and didn't even know who preached it? (gasps) How would they know where to send their money? How would they know what church to come to? See, it's all about us. It's all about our increase. What if God is saying, you think this is about you? You thought that becoming bigger and grander would make you like me. You thought that the way was wide and I heard a lady say just the other day, Kat Kerr, I will say her name because she is an absolute lunatic and she is going around and preaching at these conferences and she said the other day in exact opposition to the words of Jesus that the way has, Jesus said the way is narrow and she said that the way is wider than it's ever been. I'm going to tell you, I believe the way is narrower than it's ever been. Not because Jesus has narrowed the way, but because there are so few people preaching and pointing to the way that we've got churches full of people who think they're right and God is saying, but I'm looking at your soul and it's wrong. I believe that we are in a battle. And maybe even for us, as I close tonight, I want you to think about this. Maybe even within us, that God is trying to work some things out so that we are positioned to proclaim his gospel. I know, Dad, and like I said, I let him speak specifically, but I know we've been thinking about this. I, I do think about this a lot. There are Probably fifty churches in Claremore, and I don't think God moved us here to be number fifty-one. I just don't, what's that about? But there are people in every one of these churches who are dying to hear the gospel of Jesus. We're going to a church with the choir, and God bless Heather and her her heart for that ministry and we're teaching our young people to worship and to exalt the Lord. That church is going to have people. I'm not saying it's a bad church. I don't, I don't even know anything about that church. But there are people who need to hear the message of who Jesus is, and we have it. We know it. But we got to get out of the way so that God can do this thing. Are you willing? Is Echoes of Calvary willing to step back and say, We as a body are willing to decrease in order that Jesus can increase? I will I will close with this thought. The evidence of the life filled with the Holy Spirit of God is not tongues, it's not miracles. But the evidence of the life filled with the Spirit of God is a life who sees the need for his increase and my decrease. You notice the only person who was proclaiming that message was the only person who said of him at that time to be filled with the Spirit of God. I also want to say this. If I had the anointing of Peter and Paul to hand out tonight... So listen, I'm going to give you the anointing. All I have to do is lay my hands on you and you're going to receive that anointing that Paul and Peter had. If that was mine to give, we would have a line of people wrapping out in front of Walmart and going down the road. But if I got up and offered the anointing of John the Baptist, I wonder how long that line would be. So are we willing to allow the increase of our Lord and the decrease of our lives? I hope and I believe the answer is yes. But I think it's something that we need to ponder and think about this week. Amen? Dad, why don't you come?